This is the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. Each week, we embark on a new storytelling journey with different MedTech executives as they share real-world, actionable best practices for medical device leaders. You'll gain invaluable insights into how these industry pioneers are successfully imagining, implementing, and improving true quality medical devices. Now here's your host, John Spear, founder and vice president of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Affairs at Greenlight Guru. Hello and welcome to the MedTech True Quality Stories. That's right, folks. We have a brand new podcast that we're taking off here at Greenlight Guru. Of course, the Global Medical Device Podcast. Yeah, that still exists. Be sure to check uh, out new episodes on, on that podcast as well. But we wanted to create a new podcast, um, really to share stories, stories from companies who are making a difference in the medical device industry, you know, and try to capture some of those true quality stories. And of course, as always, I'm the host of the podcast and as well as the founder and the VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru. And I'm excited for our first guest on the MedTech True Quality Stories to have David Nero. David is the CEO and founder of Sonovex. So David, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, John. Appreciate having me. A- absolutely. And, and I'm excited about this because, David, I, I hope it's okay, but I, I feel like I've been living a little vicariously through uh, your success at Sonovex. I mean, we've been working together uh, somewhat remotely. Granted, I mean, you and, and your team, you've really taken the ball and you've run with it, but it's just been really exciting uh, to see your growth as a CEO, your growth as a company at Sonovex, all the accolades that you've had. So first of all, congratulations for all your successes. Thank you. Well, you know, knowing that, uh, I think when we first talked, I know Sonovex was, was more than an idea. It had you know, taken off a little bit. But we really caught you, you know, we really started working together really toward the beginning of the company. So, I mean, maybe if you could share a couple of thoughts and you know, what was going through your mind as, as you realized, oh my gosh, we're going to dive into this medical device industry and there's all these things that we have to deal with. You know, maybe share some of the, the thought process that you went through as you uh, evaluated uh, your options and, and eventually made the, the decision to move forward with Greenlight. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, when we had first engaged, we were at stage where we had spun out, you know, some intellectual property that I had co-invented from Johns Hopkins. And we had a little bit of money, mostly in the form of grants for some product development. And there were a million and one things that we had to figure out and spend money on, though we we had very little money to work with. And, you know, a lot of our focus was in, you know, fundraising and trying to, you know, advance our product to a more final finalized stage and and start some testing uh, with the ultimate goal of getting an FDA clearance. And, I was fortunate that one of my former colleagues, Michelle, uh, who now works with us, um, had a lot of experience in the quality dom- domain. And I started reading plenty of guidance documents and, and started to, to get sort of the scaries, if you will, about how do I approach this in a way that's not going to break the bank, but is going to be something that, that I'll feel comfortable with when I have to go to bed every night. And um, the first thing she did is she showed me her paper-based system at her company that she was at at the time. And uh, I think the look on my face would have been pretty funny to catch on camera. Uh, and then I, I asked her, I said, Michelle, you know, this is, this is obviously something that uh, I have no interest in recreating. What do you think my options are here, you know, given that I don't have a lot of money to work with and, and we need something to be efficient because we don't have a large team and we need to really be careful about our, not only our financial resources, but our time resources. And she had sort of been going through the same problem with her company and uh, really trusted her opinion. And basically there are, 
there's sort of two ways to go. There was to bring in somebody that could come in and set up a quality paper-based quality system, which would have most most likely been you know, somebody giving you templates of SOPs, you know, charging you tens of thousands of dollars and say, you know, have fun and run with it and have a big overhead in terms of, you know, the, the routine maintenance of that quality system and adjustments to it. Uh, or, you know, she said that she had learned a little bit more about an e-quality management system that removes that paperwork burden and, and had the added benefit, you know, especially with Greenlight of having a team of people who were experts that could sort of guide us through the implementation and maintenance procedures for companies like us that at the time had effectively zero experience uh, in this domain. Uh, so she had walked me through what her, uh, you know, Greenlight account looked like with her company at the time and, and showed me sort of what the approval process was and how things would work on a routine basis and, and seemed exciting enough to, to learn more. And after interacting with John and his team, I, I really felt comfortable that these guys were going to do enough to re really protect us and make sure that it was going to be best for the company, but uh, do so in a way that was financially efficient. And, uh, you know, it's been a great relationship and we've been able to hit our, our regulatory milestones and, and get our quality system in a great place that's been helpful not only to you know keeping me asleep at night but also uh, when our you know third parties whether they're investors or potential partners uh, interact with us it, it gives us a bit of an edge over uh, some of the other companies that may not be so focused uh, in the quality domain. Yeah, that's terrific. And, and uh, David, I should have looked this up before I hopped on this uh, conversation with you today. But I think we've been working with one another now for about three years. Is that about right? That's right. Yeah. That's right, John. I mean, time flies. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But the thing that I love about what you and your team have done is you have been, you've just been killing it really in a good way. You know, you have, uh, you know, a core team and you've been, you know, very, it feels like at least from my vicarious point of view anyway, that you've been very deliberate about, you know, where the funding is going. You've been very strategic about when to bring on new resources, about uh, very strategic from a regulatory perspective. And, you know, as we, we talked to you today, Son of X today at the tail end of 2018, I mean, tell us a little bit about some of uh, the things that you've been able to do. I know you've, you've had some success on the regulatory front. Talk a little bit about that and, and how that process has been. Sure. You know, we got the advice early on to get some buy-in from FDA as soon as we could. And we went out of our way to put together a very thorough pre-submission package that I, I guess now was probably April of, of 2016. Uh, at that stage, you know, we had a, a relatively high confidence on the regulatory pathway, but there was a very broad range of the level and extent of testing that we could do to support what we thought was a relatively low risk uh, technology. And with some guidance from some external folks, we were able to put together a very thorough package and had a meeting with FDA that ultimately um, was one of the best decisions we made at that early stage. Uh, we were able to get some, you know, obviously it's not feedback that we can uh, rely on 100%, but it, it gave us a lot of confidence to move forward with the plan. We modified a couple of our testing uh, procedures in, in a minor way, and it didn't really change the overall cost or timeline of our of our original plans. And by spending that additional effort, uh, we were able to have a lot more confidence in what we were doing, and it ultimately resulted in a successful clearance earlier this year. Uh, and, and the team at uh, the FDA that we were interacting with were, uh, you know, much uh, friendly is probably the not, not the right word, but much more uh, interactive and supportive of ensuring that what we were doing was 
appropriate, but also communicating in a way that was enabling us to move forward at, at a reasonable pace. So I, I sort of commend their team for for being supportive of um, you know our objectives and understanding that we need some answers before we can start some you know, six-figure studies. And, and I was very pleased with the ability to get a hold of them by email and phone and, and starting that conversation early versus preparing a big you know, regulatory submission and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best uh, work to our advantage. And I'm proud to say we got the clearance in 89 days from when we submitted, which was far, far better than what we had expected. And a lot of that you know, has to do with some of the, the good support that we had uh, both from Greenlight and also from uh, some some other individuals that we were able to work yeah. with early on in our regulatory strategy. Yeah, folks, a couple points or tips that that I want to highlight here is uh, you know, David talked about the the pre-submission program and interacting with the FDA. Very, very much encourage you all to do that. Even if you you know you've been doing this for for twenty years and you think you know. Uh, the path, uh, a pre-submission and interacting with the FDA is is very much to your favor these days. And and David, I mean, there was effort to prepare a pre-submission process, but did you did you find that that effort was was well worth it? Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. The thing that is frustrating when you start the process is that it is a huge paperwork burden, and you, you have to bring in a lot of sort of multidisciplinary information into one place, uh, but looking back on it, nearly all of that information was imperative as part of our 510k submission anyway. Uh, so it made our pre- preparation of the 510k much less burdensome. So um, the the biggest sort of challenge with the whole pre-submission process is the amount of effort it, it takes to, to put it together and then the amount of time it takes for FDA to review it and, and get a meeting uh, on the calendar. But as long as you know that it's going to take that time and you start early, um, it, it was absolutely worth it and, and put you in a great position for success after that meeting. Yeah, folks, that's a key thing. Start early, in my opinion. And, you know, Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences and I have talked a lot about the uh, pre-submissions and the benefits on the Global Medical Device Podcast. So go check out some of those uh, episodes on that topic. But starting early is is to your benefit. I mean, you, there, you know the time that it's going to take uh, for once you submit that pre-submission that before you have an audience with the FDA, you, ha- you have a pretty good window of that. So, you know, if, if, if you start it early enough, it won't impact or have a negative impact on your overall timeline. The other thing that I, David mentioned that, that I think is a really key point is, you know, by the time you're, you're um, on this 510k path, so to speak, uh, you're, um, you're sort of committed to a, a certain set of activities. You know, you talk about the very expensive uh, verification type of testing, you know, the, the things that cost tens of thousands of dollars per test. And when you add it up, you know, it could be a pretty significant investment. So the pre-submission is to your advantage before you go and spend, you know, $100,000 on testing. And, you know, I guess I'm, I'm curious, David, on the, when you went through the pre-submission, did, you, did it really alter your, your testing plan uh, in a great way? Uh, the modifications were minor, but had we not made those minor modifications, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, so the overall cost was pretty similar and the, the types of tests that we ultimately executed were very similar. However, there were little nuances that um, FDA had asked for that you know, were, were certainly reasonable, but not what we had considered initially. Uh, and if we would have had to reproduce those tests, not only would they have been very costly, but some of those were chronic studies in animals that 
uh, added you know four months worth of testing time plus data collection, processing, report writing that would have made a huge negative impact on our timeline. Um, you know, for example, there was you know one potential um, application that one of the medical officers saw in the uh, in the technology and and thought that it was imperative to include an arm of the animal study with a couple extra pigs to include implantation of our implantable device into a different tissue type uh, just to ensure that the reaction in that other type of tissue was innocuous. Uh, it ultimately was, and it, and it you know, gave us more robust data and you know, it didn't cost us a significant amount uh, of additional capital. But if we would have had to you know, redo that sequentially versus concurrently, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, the other thing that was very satisfying and, and you know, I think really validates the purpose of the pre-sub meeting is that if you read the, you know, for example, Biocomp guidance document and, and the ISO 10993 document as well, there are some tests for very low risk materials that may or may not be pertinent uh, given other testing that you could have completed. Um, so we presented a strategy based off of a scientific rationale for excluding a couple tests that we believe were captured in, in other testing that we had performed. And um, the FDA was able to agree that yes, you know, that, that in fact does make sense. And there was one uh, in vivo test that they suggested we use an in vitro version because it, it had better sensitivity and specificity based off of recent uh, experience. So we were able to just re replace a test that we otherwise would have uh, done based on a guidance document and uh, were able to basically meet the requirements the first go round versus having to you know reproduce additional expensive and time consuming testing. Yeah and and folks pick up the last the, the last tip at least on this topic uh, that I that David mentioned 89 days. So from the time that they submitted their 510k to the time that they got clearance was 89 days. My experience that's pretty impressive because sometimes you get into this 510k process and you know there could you get to a point, you know, 60 days in and you get some questions and then you have, you know, so, some things that you have to do and it takes, a, a, you know, time to do those things. And then, you know, before you know it, six months have, have passed and, you know, you're still crossing your fingers hoping to get that clearance letter. So to get that clearance letter in 89 days, that's that's very impressive, David. Thanks, John. Got a lot of good advice along the way. <laughs> well, uh, you know, happy to help. The other thing that I, um, here's a, a story from a couple of years ago. So I think it was two summers ago, I flew down to uh, TMCX, uh, the uh, medical device accelerator down in Houston. And I was asked to come give a talk about uh, QMS. And um, you were there. Uh, you were, uh, Sinovex was part of the, the TMCX medical device accelerator program. I think that was in 2017, right? Yep. And the other participants and the, the accelerator, um, they looked at you like a rock star. Why is that? Uh, I don't know, John. It's a tough question. You put me on the spot. Uh, well, okay, all right. So here, I'll, I'll lead you on a little bit. But, um, you know, the, the things that at, at that time, at that point in time in Sonovex's history, uh, you had had some success. Uh, you know, I think at that point you had had some successful uh, fundraising initiatives. I think by that point you uh, and and go to the news page, folks, on the Sonovex website. Some really impressive, well-deserved accolades. But you had been the uh, um, Maryland Incubator Company of the Year uh, in 2016. You had had a Series A uh, round. That was successful. You know, you were a lot of really awesome things that you were doing at that point in time. So I, I think the reason that you were viewed as a as a rock star by the others that were there is 
that you were achieving and, and receiving some successes that a lot of these other companies uh, were aspiring to do at the same time. So, you know, for those companies, you know, I guess talk a little bit about that program. You know, um, I, I know Lance Black and, and I've, I really appreciate what TMCX does, but talk a little bit about that program. I, I think that might be something, especially for these, uh, some of these earlier stage companies, that that might be something that they should consider exploring. Yeah, for sure. The, the TMCX program does a really good job at sort of not only describing, but giving access to uh, the key facets of starting and growing a medical device business. You know, there's a lot of good exposure, not only to clinical, but regulatory, quality, fundraising, corporate governance. Uh, a lot of the key elements outside of product development and, and testing that are imperative to uh, ensure are locked down to get to you know, future stages of growing a medical device business. And um, they, they did an exceptional job of bringing in key experts from each of those domains to come in and uh, give educational lectures, but also be there as a resource for that as, you know, as these companies grow to be able to really make sure that they've nailed down uh, the different areas uh, of the businesses. So, you know, it's a, it's a great way, if you're, especially if you're just getting started, to understand some of the key considerations early on, you know, whether it's reimbursement, healthcare economics, you know, how do you put together clinical trials and getting some opinion from, uh, getting opinions from key stakeholders early on in, uh, in a nice environment where a lot of your colleagues are going through the same problems. Uh, it's a nice sort of uh, group and an extended family, really, of people all trying to do good and, and trying to help each other out with uh, some great resources that come in to support your initiatives. So, David, you you have uh, from the time you and I first talked. Well, let's just let's just settle on it was let's call it three years. So, you went from really getting started as a company to um, market clearance via the five ten k path. Uh, I know you've got a lot of other things that are happening. You, you've done that in a little under three years. So, how did you do it? I mean, what? I mean, and I guess part of that question too is, um, you know, what you know now uh, is a quite, probably quite a bit different than what you did three years ago. So uh, what advice would you give to, to others out there who are trying to achieve, you know, similar sort of accolades as what you've been able to do at Sonovex? You know, give them the, the advice from three years into it that, that the things that they should think about and consider at the beginning of their journey. I think the key thing is knowing what you don't know and finding resources to help patch those areas that are imperative to you know, growing the business. Um, we were very fortunate that we were able to bring on board members, advisors, and consultants to support our company in areas where our founding team did not have either direct experience or experience related to the specific technology. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's human nature to do what you're good at. Uh, and not necessarily what you feel uncomfortable doing or learning about. Um, so uh, feeling um, as though you're willing to take other people's advice, but also pressure testing what they're saying to make sure that it is truly accurate and relevant for what you're doing is imperative. And, um, you know, bringing on those experts early uh, in a way that's, you know, cost effective, you know, either through equity or through uh, other means, I, I think was was really important for us. I think that engaging with a board, an advisory board, as early as you can to make sure that you have people coming at this uh, company and, and your goals from different perspectives with past experience is really important. Um, a lot of it, you know, for us, frankly, is somewhat luck driven. I mean, we 
we made some assumptions. You take some risks and, and they were calculated risks, but we were able to be successful in those initial iterations. You know, we didn't have to go through a ton of, you know, different iterations after doing some of our animal work. We were fortunate that things passed in you know, the first or second time around. Uh, so I, I don't want to claim that, you know, it was all sort of me and my team that were able to figure out all these problems. Some some of this stuff is, you know, scientific and, and based off of, um, you know, your, your ability to, to plan and, and get lucky with some of those results. Uh, but I think it's, it's about answering those hard questions as early as you can and putting in a plan to mitigate risk as much as possible is really the, the best piece of advice that, that I'd give. All right. So let's, let's um, shift gears a little bit. You have, Sonovex has raised funds uh, from, from external investors. Um, I know that that's always a, uh, an interesting topic, you know, and, it, you know, you, you, obviously, if you're getting outside capital, there's there's a valuation and equity and all that sort of thing. And and I can imagine, you know, we've gone through that here at Greenlight. You know, it's it's um, I don't want to say it's a fun thing to do. I mean, it's, sometimes it's a necessary thing to do, of course. But, you know, any advice to companies out there who are looking to raise funds, you know, how to vet investors, how to find the, the right fit for what you're trying to do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is before trying to engage with investors, try to figure out what type of investor is most appropriate for what you're aiming to do and the stage that you're at. Um, you can waste a lot of time either trying to get meetings with or having meetings with investors that you would have known from day one, you know, would never be a good fit for what you're trying to do. Uh, so there's a lot of public information. You can see um, existing portfolios either based on their websites or uh, looking through Crunchbase and other public resources, you know the types of investors, whether they're individuals, institutional investors, or, or other types of investors that have an interest in in your space at your stage and your technology type, and uh, understanding what they're looking for. You know what does success look like for them, and understanding whether the proposition that you have really fits there. And if it does, you know ensure that the story that you're uh, sharing with them highlights the details that they w- might be looking for. You know we we have based off of the audience of who we're talking to, you know, have different elements that are, that are stressed, you know, whether if it's a partnership or a strategic venture group versus an angel investor versus, um, you know, a more traditional VC, you know, the, maybe the types of returns and, and the valuations that they're looking for are going to be different. Maybe they want to see more technical elements versus more market um, data. So uh, understanding what their vetting process would look like in advance of sharing information is important because in the first meeting, you're not going to have, a ton of time and, and, and an email, you're probably not going to get a lot of attention. So making sure that the integral parts of your story are front and center um, will put you at a greater likelihood for being able to best filter uh, these prospective investors and make sure that the time that you are spending with them uh, is most likely to trigger an investment in the future. You know, I often have heard and, and have experienced firsthand that there are um, some investors, especially in the med device space, have a, a level of sophistication where, you know, they're looking at what you're doing from a, a QMS perspective and they're looking at what you're doing from a regulatory perspective as uh, part of their due diligence. Did you find that to be the case with your investors? Yeah, I mean, we shared our pre-submission materials and response with uh, I believe all of our series A investors. And that was a big piece of validation because, you know, they were investing 
before the clearance was in, uh, anticipated. And, you know, that, that is a big question for early stage medical device investors is, you know, is this company going to get the appropriate clearance in a reasonable amount of time for a reasonable amount of money? And showing that you have your QMS in place and that there is a clear regulatory pathway that's been somewhat validated uh, is important. You know, and even at the seed stage, what we had is we had a letter from Hogan Levels to validate our strategy saying, you know, we've done our research and we do believe that this is a 510K technology and here is what we expect to be the profile of testing necessary to be successful uh, in the regulatory arena. So um, I'd absolutely say that the sophisticated investors wanted to see that. I mean, we even had some investors who were asking us about our, you know, manufacturing validations. You know, some, some of these people really, they've had a lot of experience in the space, especially if they've been burned by companies that haven't had uh, all this stuff short up, want to see that you are aware of, of the key elements of, of making sure that your company is going to be successful in that arena and, and any objective information that you can share to instill more confidence uh, is going to be better. Yeah, folks, um, I, I do want, and sometimes I talk to people, they don't believe me, but the, the value that you put in your, your quality management system, your design control activities, your risk management, your regulatory strategy, your go-to-market strategy, uh, those will all have some uh, impact on the valuation of your company. I assure you, uh, I, I've experienced it firsthand, and, and David's sharing that with you today, uh, and I can... I can identify quite a few others who, uh, there's one guy in particular that comes to mind, his name's Ronnie Bracken. Ronnie uh, used to be uh, do some M&A activity for a very large medical device company. And he, he tells a, a story about giving companies a valuation haircut when they didn't do these, these things from a design control and from a quality system standpoint. So do take that part seriously. Uh, David, to kind of wrap up uh, this, this uh, podcast, What's on the horizon? What's going to happen in Sonav- with Sonavex in, in 2019? What are, what are some of the exciting things that you're willing to share with the audience? Sure. Yeah, so we just started our limited release of our first product, uh, which is going well so far. And in early uh, 2019, we're expecting another clearance and a more robust commercial rollout of our first technology and hope to advance some of our pipeline technologies from uh, the prototype stage into the commercial stage as well. So we're, going, we're on the team pursuing uh, some initial market applications and uh, doing some more clinical work, which is getting us excited here in Baltimore. Well, David, I'm going to continue to to be a fan of what you and the Sonovex team are doing. Um, it's It's been a really great partnership uh, with Greenlight Guru and, and Sonovex. Uh, just really awesome to see, you know, all the things that you and, and the team are doing. So keep up the good work. And, and folks, I, let me thank David for, for joining us on the uh, MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. David, thank you so much. John, thank you. We really appreciate the support from three years ago and, and currently and into the future. All right. We'll talk to you all soon. Take care.